Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at www.cwcsj.org for service times and directions. For the past year, our theme has been Kingdom Come. Everyone say that with me, Kingdom Come. And our theme, we've talked about the kingdom family. We've talked about the kingdom kids. We've talked about kingdom husbands and kingdom uh, wives. And we've talked about the kingdom married woman, the kingdom single woman. And we've covered all these different aspects, the kingdom man single, the kingdom man married. And we covered all these things. And we talked about the kingdom itself. But we've never discussed the king. And today we're going we're gonna to start a new series called Down with the King. We're going to talk about the king. And from your pastor's heart, I've been, I've been in ministry now for 27 years. Took five years before that of study and, and, and preparing myself for ministry even before those 27 years of ministry. I was born and raised in church, so I've heard about God all my life. But what, one of the things is, is that this was the hardest This was the hardest series to prepare for. I've never had such a hard time in studying and trying to prepare to deliver a message. I've never struggled so much to try to to preach on who God is like I have right now. Because whenever I'm talking about other things, I can take a story in the Bible and I can be the narrator of a story that God placed in the Word. But when I have to now stand in front of you and I have to be able to give an explanation of Him that is unexplainable, to give a description of Him that's indescribable, to be able to break down and give you information about a God that you can only really know through revelation. How do you break down a God? How do you break down a God that in in my finite mind of an infinite God to try to explain to you so that you could grasp and grow and get to another level to be able to break down to you who God is. How do you do that? And after 27 years of studying of ministry and being in ministry and and reading the word and, and reading the Bible through on several occasions, I still don't know God. How can I try to explain to you who God is? Moses only saw his back. And yet he was the closest one to him. The woman caught in adultery, all she saw was his finger. The sinful woman, when she broke the alabaster box and began with her tears to wash his feet and dry his feet with her hair, all she saw was his feet. And yet every one of us, and you go through churches across America, are giving descriptions about a God that all they've seen is his finger. I can't give a full description to you of everything that he is when all I've seen is a glimpse to tell you who he is in fullness when all I've seen is his fingernail. 
I can't tell you, would it be true that this is who he is? Yeah, but when I tell you about his fingernail, I miss out on his face. And when I tell you about his face, I miss out on his heart. And when I miss out on his heart, I miss out on his hands. And I miss out on his hands, I miss his feet. When I miss his feet, I miss his arm and the strength and his ability to reach and pull me back in. I miss out on telling you about the legs that ran the distance to find me and to bring me back again. How do I explain to you the unexplainable? How can this mind right here that uses only 8%, average man uses 6 I'll let you figure that out. Look at a man that only uses a small percentage of a brain that God created. Only access 6%, 8% of its full magnitude explain the God that placed it inside a man's head. How can a finite mind explain an infinite God? How do we do that? See, that's why I believe God said, don't, don't, don't have any graven images before me. Because anything that you can create, anything that you can conceive, anything that you put together, as great as a portrait that you could draw, it doesn't matter. No matter how good you are, anything that you could create would take away my glory. Anything you could fashion would steal who I am. Even when God came and he stood before Moses in the burning bush, God says, when Moses asked, who do I say sent me? God himself struggled with trying to explain who I am. If I tell them I'm Jehovah Jireh, they're not going to know that I'm Jehovah Shalom. If I tell them I'm Jehovah Shalom, they're not going to know that I'm Jehovah Shama. If they don't know that I'm Jehovah Shama, I'm going to miss out that I'm Jehovah Nisi, their banner. And if I tell them I'm their banner, they're going to miss out that I'm their righteousness. If I tell them I'm their righteousness, they're going to miss out on the, I'm their sanctification. And gee, God is standing there trying to come up with an explanation. He finally comes up with this. Tell them I am. That I am sent you. I am. What do you need today? I am. What's your struggle today? I am. Only thing that I can give to you today is I am. Let them know that when you're in need of, of a provider, I'm your provider. When you need a peace, I'm your peace. When you need sanctification, I got you covered. When you need someone to bring righteousness, I got you covered. I need you to know who he is this morning. Need you to know, in fact, stand with me as we turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. I'm sorry, I got, got a little ahead of myself. Excuse me, I get excited when I talk about my king. As great as the kings of this earth have been, King Solomon, King David, and the splendors, whether we're talking about Queen Victoria who turned the UK into a world power, or we're talking about King Louis XIV of France who under his reign made France one of the most powerful countries in Europe, or even even some of these other kings of our day, none of those kings can compare to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 says this, Then the king will say, 
Every other time in the word of God, king is mentioned, it's lowercase. But whenever it's in reference to who God is, it's capitalized. Jesus is speaking and saying, talking about the end times, that the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom, everyone say kingdom, prepared for you from the creation of the world or from the foundation of the world. I need you to understand that you are not an afterthought. You are thought of while the world was being founded. God prepared this thing called kingdom for you from the very beginning. Pray with me now. Father, help in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You see, so to understand... To understand a king, we got to understand what a kingdom is. And in America, we have a hard time explaining kingdom because in America, we are raised under a democracy. And in democracy, the United States was founded by... Uh, uh, we, We came and we established the nation. It was supposed to be free, but we were under the domination of Europe. And what ends up happening is during that time, we broke away from the kingdom. And so in America, we have a hard time understanding what a kingdom is. And so when I talk about kingdom, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, it says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them have, let them have, we preach on this for a long time, we preach on dominate. Let them have Dominion. That word dominion is talking about power. It's talking about rulership. Now, when the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, was transliterated into Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, so that the Greeks had the ability to read the Old Testament, which is, they call it the Septuagint, when they, when they transliterated the Old Testament into Greek, when you take Genesis chapter one and you take that word dominion, it's translated basilia. Let them have, not dominion, but let them have kingdom. Let's create man in our image and in our likeness and let them have sovereignty, royal power, and rulership. That when God created humanity and he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he was placing them in that garden to give them a kingdom. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than he did about the church. Because the kingdom is what he came for. And when we talk about a kingdom, I want to talk to you about a kingdom that, first of all, a kingdom is not democratic. Say it again, Pastor. A kingdom is not democratic. Let me explain that to you for a moment. In other words, your opinion doesn't matter in the kingdom. Everyone wants to vote. When we established this church, we're part of a denomination. When we planted this church and we were putting our bylaws together, they wanted to see where we were going to vote. I said, we don't vote here. And have you been to a meeting at our church where we voted? We don't vote. This isn't democratic. This isn't a democracy. This is a theocracy. Say it again, pastor. This is a theocracy. God speaks to the man of God. The man of God speaks to the people. 
Only part of you are clapping right now. You know why? Because you've been in situations and circumstances where you have been damaged by a man of God. If you don't trust me to bring you the word of God, you can't trust me to lead this church. Honey, I am more afraid of God than I am of you. Because someday I will stand before God and give account for what I do. What I preach, how I live, how I treated my wife and my children. So everything I do is going to be directly, not to a board of directors, it's going to be to the Son of God. Some of you are like, oh, I'm going to go find a church that's democratic. Help yourself, honey. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. Because we believe in a theocracy. Kingdom. Now let me explain something to you. A kingdom doesn't vote. Kingdoms don't care about opinions. And kingdoms are where the king's desires are carried about. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. You're good. You figure that all out by yourself. Every kingdom must have a king. I want to talk to you about our king. And when you recognize the idea of a king, a king's word is never voted upon. Oh, somebody say amen. Amen. See, the thing you're doing right now is you're thinking about the abuses of a Hitler. You're thinking about the abuses of some of these earthly kings that have been about. But when you recognize who your king is and the qualities and the character and and the love and the holiness and the righteousness, I want you to understand something. Take a look at this. Every king, his authority comes by right, by birthright. It's not, you, you don't, you don't, can, can will you give me power? He is born with that authority. I want you to notice that this king, he cannot be voted out of power. You don't like what the king's doing? You can't get a group of people together and vote and say, we want the king out. That's the king's kingdom. He's the king. His word is law. Next, greatness is reflected by the condition of his subjects. I want you to capture something here. Notice something. This is the word of God. Got a lot of papers in here. Dear Sam. uh, I won't read that. Okay. This is the word of God, correct? The Bible. This is the king's decree. The doctor might say you're sick. The king's decree says you're healed. Uh, You're not catching it. it. It depends on what kingdom you belong to. If I belong to his kingdom, that when I'm broke, the Bible says that he is Jehovah Jireh, my God that provides His word, whether you believe it or not, his word says it, and you can't vote out what he declares. God's opinions matter, not yours. And it's time that we begin to live according to the word of God and our king. When I recognize that I don't belong to a democracy, so whether my family believes in it, whether my aunts or uncles believe in it, whether my friends believe in it or not, if the king has declared it and decreed it, it shall be done. 
problem is we put more cred into the opinions of others than we do into our king. And so the greatness of any king is based on the condition of his subjects. Do you understand that if you, you, you belong to a kingdom and everyone is broke, living in poverty, what's that say about the king? The condition of this kingdom, God gets glory when you're blessed. Say it again, Pastor. God gets glory when you're blessed. Do you understand that we don't represent ourselves? That's why my marriage has to be under over reproach. That's why my finances have to be blessed. That's why I got to make sure my family is together. Why? I don't represent me. I represent him. That doesn't mean we never have any problems. It's that we work through it. And that whatever we do, it has to reflect not us, but him. I don't represent my own kingdom. I represent his. Oh, come on. Somebody say amen. I want to introduce you to our king for a second. Take a look at this. I'm sure you've seen it before.
How do you explain this king? How do you describe this king? I went to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to try to figure out, God, how do I describe an indescribable God? So I went back to the beginning in Genesis 1, 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our first introduction of God is as the creator, Elohim. He doesn't introduce himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God that is my healer, Jehovah Nisi, my banner. He doesn't introduce himself as Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present God. He introduces himself as Elohim. Elohim is God. El is God. And when you add him at the end of it, it makes it plural. And so how do you explain a triune God? In all my years, I've heard people try to explain it, but they could never fully explain the Trinity. Three in one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one being, one person. Three distinct personalities operating in one person. How does it work? Well, you see, it's like ice, water, and vapor. They're all one thing, but they are described in different ways. It's like a musical chord on a keyboard where you press one key and you press another key and you press a third. Individually, they're notes, but when you play them together, they become a chord. And together, they are one, but individually, they are three, but they come together as one. That is the Trinity. What? How do you explain that? Well, just like the human body, we have body, soul, and spirit. And it comes together and it makes one man. And that becomes a reflection of who God is. How do you explain what you cannot contain? The moment that you understand who God is, you have created a God that is too small to deliver you. When you get to the point where I know all of, I know who he is, how do you know who he is? How can you comprehend the greatness of this God that told Moses, I'm just going to let you see my back. I'm going to let you write the first five books of the Bible and you weren't even there for the first book. But I'm just going to let you see my back. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, but all he saw was a train of his robe filling the temple. How great is this God? The creator. I want you to know something this morning. I'm going to close right now. John, give me a little something a little more exciting back there, brother. Help a brother out here. I find it interesting that God's first thing that he uses to introduce himself to us is as a creator. And I want you to notice this a couple things before I close this morning. Is that this Elohim God, Elohim, with a small e, it refers to angelic beings. When it says that we were created just a little lower than the angels, Elohim is used. But when it refers to God, it's a capital E. Elohim, it refers to God and it's referring to the Trinity. 
But when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, I want you to notice something about our creator. He wants us to know, first and foremost, that you didn't come from just out of nowhere. You were just snatched out of the air. You're not an amoeba that turned into a fish, then from that fish into a lizard. And from a lizard, you begin to walk around on all fours, became an ape. And from an ape, you evolved into who you are today. First of all, I need you to understand that the creator is not subject to his creation. That's my God. God may have created time, but he's not relegated to it. He might have created humanity, but he's not bound to it. He might have created the heavens and the earth, but he's not limited to the heavens and the earth. He might have created the galaxy, but he is not stuck to this galaxy. My God is bigger than those things. Do you understand that our, that, that our, our solar system, our, our galaxies, as big as it is, scientists say it's about 46 billion, not million, billion light years long. That means if we leave today and travel at the speed of light for a billion years, we got to do that 46 times, 46 years in a row. In order to go from the beginning of the universe to the next, to the end. And that would only be our galaxy. When you talk to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, it says that when God looks at the universe, he holds the world in the expanse of his fingers. He measures the world like this. It takes us 46 billion light years to get there. God goes, I'll get you. Got it. That's how big your God is. That all the water in the world, the oceans are a mere drop in the bucket to him. He holds them in the palm of his hand. You know, the word says that he created the world with his fingertips. Brother Rennie, fingertips. Let me explain something to you. Whenever I have to pick something up, if it's light, I use fingertips. If I have to pick up something heavy, I have to use my hands. God created the world with fingertips. That was nothing to him. He didn't even use his whole hand. He used fingertips. What I need you to understand is that God is not subject to his creation. Number two, I want you to understand as we close, is all creation reflects his glory. How can I explain who God is? I can't. But I can do this for you. Look at the heights of the mountains. Look at the depths of the sea. Look at the expanse of the universe. Look at the complexity of the human body. And if you look at the creation, creation reflects the glory of the artist that created it. 
and you look at the heights of Mount Everest, God created that with fingertips. You look at the depths of the sea, God created that with fingertips. The expanse of the universe with fingertips. The complexity of the human with fingertips. All those things reflect a God that is greater than us. And why is that so important? Because if I remove the creator, I remove my moral responsibility to submit to him. And that is why God at the beginning doesn't argue with you. He doesn't debate with you. He doesn't try to convince you. He just says, in the beginning, me. Not trying to prove I exist. Not trying to get you to be convinced that I'm here. Just deal with it. I'm here. Because I have no beginning. And this is where, do you understand, go a million years before the world was created, God was? Go a billion years before the book of Genesis, God is? I have a hard time understanding that because I got a birthday. And I'm going to have a death date. But the God I serve has no beginning, no end. So number three, creation is responsible to its creator. If Elohim created the heavens and the earth, then I have a responsibility to the one that created me. That's my king. Listen, you didn't create yourself. You were created in the mind of God before your parents brought you about on this earth. We have a responsibility to the one that created us. This morning, I need you to understand something. That we were all created to reflect His glory. But I need you to understand two words that explain creation. First word is bara. Everyone say bara. Bara. I'm not talking bra. Bara. Okay? I'm not saying a bra. Bara. Okay? Bara means to create out of nothing. That's the word that's used in the Hebrew for creation. But the second word, asa, asa means to create from something. That my God has the ability, oh, you got to check this out. My God can create from nothing or my God can take a little dirt and create something. My God can take the, out of the expanse of nothing and speak and say, let there be light. And what was void will all of a sudden become filled. Or he can come and take the remnants of nothing that is left but ashes of our life. And he can take that little dust and the ash and begin to mold something and then breathe into it and make it come alive. Oh, you got to capture this right now. There are some of you right now that feel like you have nothing left. That all you do, everything that, is, that you've done, that you've tried, it's down to nothing. You got nothing left. That's all right. My God is a God of Barah. He can take nothing and make something. Or you're looking at what's left. Nothing but ashes of your life are left. All I got God to offer you is this keep messing up I keep blowing it and I keep burning up the things that you keep trying to build in me and all I got is ashes left 
I want to encourage you this morning. Bring your ashes to Jesus. Because my God can not only do barah and create something from nothing. So he got you covered. Those of you that ain't got nothing, Pastor Dan, I got nothing. God got your barah. God got your brah. <laughs> and for those of you that all you have left is ashes, ashes left of your marriage, of your children, of your mind, of your finances, of, of, your, of your hopes and your dreams, and all you have is ashes left. My God made mankind out of ashes. He can put those things together and then breathe life into the ashes of your life and make something out of nothing. Bow your heads with me this morning. How do you explain them? Job found himself standing face to face with God. After Job finally figured out, okay, this is what God's doing. Now I understand what God is doing and all of this that's going on. I finally figured out what God is doing. And after all of that, God speaks to Job and says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Did I take counsel with you when I did these things? And for two chapters, God sits down and has a discussion with Job. Finally, Job stops God and says, God, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just say this. I spoke prematurely. I spoke on things too wonderful for me to understand. There are some things we just don't understand about God. But I will tell you this, never forget that he is still king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And to his reign there will be no end. Today it's up to you to choose what kingdom you will be part of. The kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. A no choice, a no decision, a decision to stay in the middle is a choice to go to darkness. This morning, you are making a choice whether you are submitting to the king and his glory. When I become part of his kingdom, oh, come on. When I become part of his kingdom, his health plan is the best health plan ever. His retirement plan, his, his financial plan, my God takes care of his people. My king is a king of love, of mercy, and grace. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at www.cwcsj.org.